Guasso, bro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast presented by Macy Sports. Episode 149 of the show, reaching the the big 150. Uh, Always a nice little round number there. Uh, Who knows what we'll be talking about by the time we get to episode 150, but episode 149. uh, We've got a lot to talk about from the past few weeks of Whitecaps land. Feels equally both just like yesterday, but also feels like a month ago that they played Minnesota, everything was on the line, a win and you're in this type situation, but unfortunately the Whitecaps went out with a whimper on the road, which is both again, I guess, a silver lining and also frustration because they had it so close, they had it in their hands, but at the same time, no, you know, no false promises, no, oh, we made the playoffs, it's a reality check for the Whitecaps, so... Certainly, we're going to do our best to dive into all of that this week. We're probably not going to touch on much up upon the game. I'd say joking, semi-jokingly, if you want a, a good way to sum up the game, is go back to whatever our recap uh, was of Kansas City versus Whitecaps playoffs uh, 2021, because I feel like a lot of what we said on that day probably would uh, would apply for this Minnesota game. So we'll touch on it. Certainly was an important event, but... What's nice about this result is it sets the table for a very, very important offseason. We mentioned it many a time. It feels like a real turning point for the Whitecaps. They're kind of on the cusp of something. Do they take a step back? Do they go forward? They have Champions League. They want to compete for Canadian Championship next year. They want to compete for MLS. So huge offseason if they are wanting to do that. But a lot of preview there. Didn't introduce our good old co-host as usual, Samuel Rowan. I'm Alexander Gungaruzic. Sam, how's it going this week? Going very, very well. Welcome to the off-season, everyone. I'm excited. In a way, this is my favorite time of year. And Alex, you did. You, you took my job. Normally, I'm the one previewing, giving away everything we're going to talk about on the show. Uh, yeah, but excited to get into it. Um, we, we now not only have that final match of the year, but we have season-end availability. There wasn't a lot there, but there were some interesting tidbits to pick up on. Uh, we've seen the roster decisions about, you know, which guys are had their options picked up, guys still in negotiations. That's always curious. And then, uh, you know, we like looking forward to next year, talking about some young guys, uh, talking the big picture stuff. So we're going to do a little bit of all of that and, uh, yeah, kind of set the table for what we think this offseason might look like. I think to summarize my thoughts on the Whitecaps season, and I think this reflects what Axel Schuster said, I think there's a, the level of frustration is almost a little bit higher this year because I think they know the team overall, the roster was better at year's end, but they got less out of the season. And so I think there's a determination there to, you know, with Schopf, with Cubas, with Gressel, um, you know, Gauld obviously still at full tilt. H- how do you maximize what, what you're getting out of that group? And, and it sounds like they're they're going to be reasonably aggressive in making the changes they think are necessary so uh, that's exciting and and that's gives us lots to talk about so that's always good but I guess we'll start with uh, 
yeah, just a brief word on the match against Minnesota itself. And for me, I think it just goes to show a couple things. It goes to show how hard it is to win on the road in MLS, no matter how good you think you are. Uh, that's been well established. Unless you're Montreal. Yeah, it's been well established, but uh, we see it once again. And then I think it also goes to show that, yes, Fanny Sartini made some nice tweaks at the end of the year, but uh, the Whitecaps' hold on, on matches is still precarious. And it felt like when they sort of failed to get into the game and they, they had lost control of it early, uh, they were never really able to make the tweaks they needed to regain composure. Uh, yeah, and ultimately... You know, there's some depth at key areas, goalkeeper, striker, center back that uh, they're going to need to look at for next season. So I I think it was, I I don't want to say a positive, but I think in a way it's, it's a nice sobering moment where they go, okay, we got, we got work we need to do if we want to truly compete in 2023. So yeah, I, I think they most likely would have been bounced in the first round of the playoffs anyways. So, uh, yeah, I'm almost. I'm exci- I'm more excited to start the off season than I would have been for a, you know, a quick bowing out of the playoffs. Although, you know, it is, it can go to pens. Lots of crazy things can happen. Uh, we've seen some wild MLS Cup playoff matches so far. So, uh, you know, never say never. But I, I think ultimately, this might be a good moment for the future of the club. Yeah, so I feel like there's a lot to unpack and. I feel like the, the, the last game kind of summed up the Whitecaps' troubles on the road because, again, it wasn't like an overly terrible performance, but for whatever reason on the road, they're almost – feels like they're fragile. If if that, you know, if that feels right to use a word like that, I'm just like revisiting some of the numbers to jog my memory. And, again, off of first glance, the XG for Minnesota was 0.9 to 0.5. You look at a lot of the stats, things were – you know, numbers-wise, relatively even, but, you know, I remember back from the game, it was one moment that killed them, one moment where they're playing out the back, just a missed pass there, a miscommunication there, Kubas doesn't maybe know that there's a body on him, they turn it over, it's in the net, and that's your season. Because, like, after that, they mounted basically nothing, and that kind of boiled down the season on the road in general, because it feels like there are so many moments where the Whitecaps should have done better on the road. Even, like, great road performances that we maybe applauded, like, I don't know, I want to say the Portland game, away where they played excellently but they still weren't able to grab a point they they were leading and they gave away a point at the end which good playoff top four teams in the league don't do they go out and take care of business even if they're up against the ropes i think that was emblematic of the white caps in a row they only won what two out of 17 road games like you would have thought if they were if they were a genuine playoff team again it's just mind-blowing they missed out on four points and they had they dropped points 15 times on the road but yeah this minnesota game really summed up just what hurt them on the road. They didn't necessarily play bad on the road. They'd go out and have flashes, but it would always be these goals, particularly early in games, some of them cheap, that just you can't give up. You can't give up if you want to be a playoff team. And that's something they'll have to figure out because it's fascinating if you look at the complete opposite at home almost. Because, again, it, it, we, we mentioned it in the last show, the Whitecaps ended up this on the season somehow being a top-five home team in MLS, which considering how many frustrating home losses they had, is kind of impressive and, and shows that the Whitecaps, for whatever reason at home, they find a way to get the job done for the most part. But it's really just how abhorrent they were on the road was the difference between them making it and missing out. But I think that's good because being everyone can do good at home. It's MLS. Road teams are always going to be fatigued because of the travel, because of all that stuff. But what really makes distinguishes the good teams 
from the great teams and the bad teams from the good teams is how you're able to do on the road. Because if you're a good team, you're able to go out on the road. And despite the fatigue, despite the home field advantage, despite that, you're able to play your way. And uh, it showed that maybe while the Whitecaps have, you know, a platform to play a certain way at home, they, until they figure it on the road, that's going to be the difference between them making that next jump. And to kind of re- return to that early point you made when you said to sum up the season, if I was going to sum up the season in a, in a cooking way, because I just, I don't know, I'm hungry. Or I don't know, I love cooking. It feels like the Whitecaps put together a bunch of great ingredients on a recipe, but for whatever reason, they like, they put too much pepper in one area or they forgot an ingredient in another area or they overcook some parts of it and you're left frustrated because you're like, okay, there was some good stuff in there. Like, yeah, you got some good quality ingredients, but you, you cheaped out in some other areas and you burned the pot in the, at the end when it mattered. So and I, I feel like that does a good job of summing up that, that Whitecaps game against Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's just it was down to, to the execution and kind of the, the flow of the match. And we saw so many of those. You talk about the XG, you know, relatively tight. We saw so many of those really throughout the Whitecaps season. And, you know, early in the year, all those mixed results were going against them. Then, uh, you know, mid to late in the year, they, they went on a run. And then, you know, finally, at the end of the year, you have you have it go against you again. And, we both said the word fragile now several times, and I think that, that goes to show it, right? You have these relatively even matches with not a lot to separate, and it just it feels like when the Whitecaps go down a goal or when you know they, they miss on an opportunity or two, like I think of Brian White missing some opportunities over the final couple matches, and you kind of go, man, if, if they don't capitalize on that, we don't know if they're going to get another chance. And that's it's kind of, you know, it's gone. Whereas you look at some of the top teams in the league, like I think of a of an LAFC, and it's like they can, they can squander eight chances, but they're going to create more. So there's always that, um, that way to get back in the match. There's always that response. And I think the Whitecaps just didn't quite have that this year. And especially on the road, you need to, uh, you need to be able to overcome adversity. And uh, yeah, it just felt like on the road when they when they got behind, it was almost match over, as you said. So definitely something to look to improve on in 2023. And, uh, you know, we saw saw what happened to Minnesota, too. I don't think they were a a, a terrific team in the playoffs. Um, But but it's also kind of a positive for the Whitecaps because I think I've I've watched these MLS Cup playoff matches, and I don't don't see a level of football that the Whitecaps are incapable of competing at. They're certainly – have the ingredients. It's just about uh, mixing it all together the right way. Yeah, exactly. It's all about the margins. I think that's one key way of putting it. Like, uh, you know, watching the, say the Montreal versus uh, Orlando game. Like that was a tight game, but you know, the difference there was that Montreal, they kept knocking on the door. They kept knocking on the door. They kept their ship tight. They, they got the job done in the end. And too many times for the white caps, for example, they didn't generate enough chances to be a team that like, okay, like to use your LAFC metaphor or even, you know, like even like a Montreal, you know, Philly, those teams can outscore their problems. Like they have a bad day at the office defensively. There's a belief that, okay, there's some talent. There's, they're going to get chances. They're going to score. I mean, Philly had like three, 10 goal scores this year. I think the Whitecaps didn't have one, like obviously that's different, uh, but a difference is like, say some of the other top defensive teams, you know, you, I'd say like an Austin and Austin's underlying numbers weren't particularly great this year. They're, they're kind of almost equivalent. You know, they're obviously better than Vancouver's, but they're not far off. They were a pretty middling team analytically. But say on Austin, they have this belief that 
they're going to defend so well that at the end of the day, their difference makers are going to get that one chance they need. Austin is almost equivalent, you know, to a white caps. It feels like watching them because it's like, okay, Philly, they're just, they're going to get 18 million chances and they're going to put away enough of them to win. You know, same thing with LAFC, but in Austin, I mean, a guy like a Drew, he's just a, mag- a magician, but Hey, Ryan Gold is a magician. I mean, they have a chant calling him magic for a reason, uh, but only he can do so much when, Again, like that's the frustrating thing about this Minnesota game is that it was just it was one nil and it felt like okay, just one chance to get a draw is like okay that's going to be enough of an ask and they needed two to just get the the win to get in the playoffs so that probably sums up the the best of the season. I don't think I have much else to to say on the Minnesota game unless you do. So, uh, pretty much that takes us nicely into postseason availabilities this week. Obviously, Axel Schuster, Vanny Sartini took the stage as some noted that surely indicates that Vanny Sartini is probably back next year, which is no surprise. I think, I think he'll get another kick at a can with a healthy full roster. Take, see how far he can go in champions league. Personally, I don't hate the idea uh, for the most part. I was looking, so there's a couple factors that I've noticed throughout the season. For example, I see a lot of, Oh, you should hire a proven MLS manager. I'm pretty sure this year only four out of the 14 teams that made the playoffs had a quote-unquote proven MLS manager being someone who is who, who joined their team with previous MLS experience. Pretty much most of the coaches that are succeeding now are actually guys uh, that have come up uh, and, and, and you know come up through a system or come from a lower level. So that might not be what some people want to hear. So unfortunately, I don't think a guy like Caleb Porter is the answer anyway. So I don't hate the idea of sticking around with Vanny Sartini for a year. We've mentioned certainly his strengths and his weaknesses, and hopefully maybe an offseason uh, will be what he needs to maybe overcome some of those. But uh, Sam, you were present at the availability. I mean, maybe just to start, what were some general tidbits that kind of stood out to you looking back a few, you know, a few days back on it? Well, yeah, I'll just add one thing to the to the coaching discussion first. Uh, in terms of Vanny, in terms of people you could replace him with, there's this weird balance in MLS where uh, a lot of people, yeah, they ask for that proven MLS coach, and then those kind of guys get hired, and a lot of people say, oh, just another recycled MLS veteran. Retread. But then you suggest someone more ambitious from Europe, you know, someone who's been let go from a big club and people say, oh, well, that's that's too ambitious. The Whitecaps can never sign that manager. So it's like, okay, well, what do you want? I think that, uh, yeah, I think ultimately the Champions League to me is like really the cincher for Vanny to come back because you do not want to start a campaign like that with a brand new manager, I don't think. And the Ultimately, the performances weren't bad enough this season to, uh, you know, really force your hands. And so to transition into the conference, one thing I will say is Vanny was very open about the fact that, you know, he made mistakes early in the season. He was too slow to adjust. And uh, I think there's been some self-reflection there. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about this before on the show and I think all the way back to when we had Vanny on the show as, as a guest before he was the manager. He's a real student of the game. He's a learner. I think he's going to learn a lot from his first full season. And, uh, you know, even things down to the preseason, um, the way they execute that, I think there's going to be some improvements in 2023. So, you know, you can, you can make what you will of the, the managerial situation, but I think the, the less variables you add to the fold for next year in that regard, probably the better um, yeah, so in terms of overall takeaways from availability, I think that I was really struck by the fact that um, the, 
the organization feels less complacent than last year. I think we were we were clowning last off season the way they you know they kind of cherry picked the last ten matches of the year and they said oh we're the we're one of the best teams in MLS. All we have to do is run it back and. There was an element of truth to that, but they didn't add the depth they needed. They didn't smooth around the edges in the way they needed to. And, uh, you know, some of the guys like Kubas and Gressel, who they really could have used earlier, didn't come in until near the end of the season. And then also uh, positions like fullback, center back, they weren't preemptive in terms of adding depth. And that really ended up hurting them. Um, as well as the Maxime Cropot departure, obviously, which uh, you can't really blame the club for. I think that's just uh, you know, one of those things that happens from time to time. So uh, there's, a, there's a sense, I think, in that building that uh, they have to be more vigilant this offseason. They have to defend themselves against those kinds of things from happening. And uh, we, we saw that in terms of the options that weren't picked up, right? Like lots of guys... In the past, I think, you know, Nowinski, Godinho in particular, where former Whitecaps teams would have gone just, yeah, we'll pick up the option, not even think about it. But this season, they're they're really thinking about uh, more roster turnover and I think adding, you know, being more thoughtful about their organizational depth. So that's something that obviously they have to execute um, in order for it to be a positive. But if they're able to do that successfully, I think that could... uh, could be a difference we see going into 2023. And I think that certainly, you know, it makes sense for them now to rejig things, uh, you know, a little bit. I think you look back at last year and you, you talked about maybe running it back and, uh, you know, obviously it, it fell short and it's like, okay, maybe you realize some of the things you were, you were missing out on. So for this year, I think it's a lot, again, the, the the path is very clear in terms of what they need. And that's one nice thing is, again, just looking at, which we'll get to in a, you know, a minute, is the the options. You pick up, that you see the, the team that they currently have on roster. Okay, the needs are relatively clear. And I think, it you know, it's certainly now the question is, okay, you've had a year to identify targets. Some of these things have have been there for a while. You look at maybe the, the talk and goal, the talk at number nine, uh, you know, you now know what the, the DP situation is likely going to be because obviously you're renegotiating with Cavallini. It kind of confirms that either he's not going to be back or he's going to be back probably at a rate that allows the club some flexibility to to do some other things. You know, this is a good chance for them to to maybe, you know, make up for it, like you said, what happened in the offseason. And, I mean, we'll, we'll also get to, yeah, it will, you know, the, the goalkeeper situation, how that maybe impacted things more than we thought it would have uh, at the time, given the, the state of the roster. But uh, I guess before do we get to all the option stuff, another interesting tidbit that came out during the week leading up to the press conferences, it sounds like there was a bit more news given uh, Russell Tybert picked up, a, you know, recently had ankle surgery. Won't miss any time. He'll be back at some point. Um, but Russell Tybert, he's locked up for, I think, another two years at a very decent salary. But uh, is, is Sam, I guess maybe <laughs> hard to put this question, but is there a chance he maybe doesn't finish this current deal uh, with the Whitecaps? Well, yeah, this was an interesting one that was brought to me the, the other day by alleged sources. And I, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to see this come to light. But uh, yeah, someone told me that 
a team had inquired about the services of Russell Tybert, which are words I never thought I'd utter on this podcast because I think everyone sort of assumed he would be a Whitecaps lifer and that there was no chance that contract could ever be moved. But apparently a club has at least seemed interested or knocked on the door and the Whitecaps haven't turned them away wholeheartedly. So, yeah, uh, obviously heal up Rusty. Uh, I wonder how for how much of the season he was he was dealing with that. Uh, you know, true Canadian kid, I'm sure, battling battling through injuries and uh, always one of the fittest guys on the team. But, yeah, could it be an expansion side? Um, I have to think it would be within MLS. There's, there's no other way that that would really make sense. So um, that's something to watch out for. Again, I think that's, you know, I would file that in the low percentage category that it's going to come to anything. But something to watch out for. And uh, again, I think it just shows that, uh, you know, players that the club would have considered untouchable before, you know, guys they weren't willing to move on from. They talk so much about the the leadership group last year. I think they're less sold on that now. I think they just want to feel the best team possible. And if that means moving on from uh, guys like Rusty and Nerwinski, they're two longest serving players, that they're at least willing to to entertain that. Well, I think the existential crisis or, you know, question with all this is, yeah, what do you do when your leaders don't necessarily play or shouldn't be starters? And that's always a million-dollar question. It's like, what do you do with teams? Because there's some teams where you name a team captain, they don't start. It's like, how do you go about something like that? And, you know, it's a great question for the white caps in terms of, okay, what do you do with a guy like Russell Tyberg? Because, I mean, again, it's no... I mean, I'll say maybe not at this salary, but he'd be a great depth piece just because he's been in the league so long. You you know what you can get. He's versatile. We know those sorts of things. But the, the that that was never the question. It's okay. You can't be consistently starting twenty plus games in an MLS season year after year after year. So, I mean, if you're the new management team, I think maybe what this last year taught you is okay. Like at a certain point. Loyalty can only get you so far in this current MLS landscape. This isn't the same MLS it was four years ago where loyalty and a bit of experience helped a lot. And I mean, it still does. Again, signings like Julian Gressel, Tristan Blackman, bang on. But I think what's becoming clear is if you look at back at some of these rosters of five years ago, some of the guys from best teams wouldn't be kicking around. Like this is a different MLS. This is an MLS that's adapting. It's evolving. Uh, we're seeing more talent come through the league was interesting you know one thing that was worth noting it was like the other day i was thinking i was like the tam and jam for example that's been the tam program's been there what for six seven years like we're finally seeing some of the the results of that with how teams have been building their roster so i think it's a good question for the white caps to have i mean at the end of the day leadership is certainly a valuable skill but i think it's clear that having the best possible team out on the fit, the pitch is also a valuable skill. And then from there, leaders will step up. But I mean, it is also nice that someone like Ryan Galt already entering his third season with the club, technically second full season. That's a guy who I'd say is both a very good player and a guy who really started to emerge as a leader. I mean, you look at uh, other guys. I mean, we don't know who's necessarily going to stay around. Like say, assume a Ranko Veselinovic stay, stays around. That's what his fourth year at the club all of a sudden, fifth year. Uh, I think fourth year, I'm I'm just losing track, but it shows like all of a sudden that's the sort of experience and talent. And I, I guess maybe a year or two ago when there was so much turnover, like 
pretty much everyone bar like two, three players had been there for less than a year, less than two years. Experience certainly was a valuable function. But I think now the experience debate can start to go out the window. Cause you look at some of these guys who are, who are going to be expected to be key contributors like Julian Gressel. I think he's going to stick around. I mean, his comments seem to, he, he sounds like he's going to, he wants to buy a house here in, in Vancouver. He wants to stick around. Yeah. Well, that's a guy there with six, seven seasons of MLS experience. That maybe helps you stomach some of the stuff you didn't have a couple of years ago, you know, with Russell's tie, but if Brian White's still around, that's another, you know, six, seven years of MLS experience. So it's something for the Whitecaps to ponder. Now you, know, you have less of an excuse. So if the right offer comes around, I mean, in terms of improving a team, you sometimes have to be a bit cutthroat and a bit, uh, you know, heartless if, if that's the right word and so if the right deal comes around for russell tyber i mean you absolutely have to listen to it i, I think at this point other than yeah you know unless the the deal is for someone ryan gauld uh pretty much you you'd listen to anything i think at this point there's no other player i'd say it would be considered untouchable at this current state just in terms of if someone came calling with an offer like ryan gauld unless it's like a boy eight digit figure from outside of MLS. You're not considering moving him on. So again, with guys like Tybert, guys like Norwinsky, something to, to keep in mind. Yeah. Again, I think it just points to the, the ruthlessness that the club seems to hopefully now be willing to operate with. Like in the past, they didn't have the guts to, to move on from these guys. And I think, you know, it's reaching the point with Schuster and Sartini where they go, okay, well, if we want to, if we want to make this group work, we need to, you know, trim the fat and really, um, you know, not have any any players we can't afford to have on the squad. And I think I think they just saw that this year that their depth was a little bit too thin and it let them down at key moments. So um, that's something to watch. The other thing really that stood out to me from the media availability was uh, Vinny Sartini and Axel Schuster's comments when asked specifically about Caio Alessandre and Lucas Cavallini um, on Caio. It had Vanny Sartini essentially like preface his comments about Kaio with saying he's a really nice guy. And I feel like whenever you hear that, that's like, that's a breakup line, right? It's like, you're a really nice guy, but here's why we can't be together anymore. So I, I just, I got those kind of vibes. It was like, hey, we really like Kaio, but he's just not right for this team. It wasn't that explicit, but that was certainly the, the language I felt like they were using about Kyo. So uh, I, that's a curious one. If he never comes back to the club and has an impact, that'll uh, it's one for the history books because it, it feels like the right move in so many ways. But uh, if there's a relationship there that just can't be repaired, then um, I guess you just have to move on. And I felt the same way to a lesser extent, but... Uh, Hearing Axel and Vanny talk about Lucas Cavallini, it was kind of like, well, we have to come to an agreement about him having the right role with the club. And it's sort of, they've, they very much put it in Lucas Cavallini's court um, that he essentially has to accept the role they're going to offer him. Otherwise, they would, they would look to go elsewhere. So uh, that one might come down to the player, but ultimately I left the conference thinking that the chance of either of those guys being back next year seems seems lower than I went into the press conference thinking. I, I kind of thought that, you know, I, I thought there was a relatively good chance that Kyle might come back, and I thought Cavill was maybe more of a 50-50, but now I'd probably put both of these guys below 50% just if I had to guess. I mean, this is, things can change. Their negotiations are still ongoing. 
Um, so I would hardly rule anything out, but I, I was a little bit surprised by that. Well, if this indeed is the end for Kyle, you kind of have to do pour one out. I was just because of talk about him. I brought up his data from uh, he's now played seven games in Brazil since returning. Uh, he currently is averaging 0.2 XG per 90. He's winning 65% of his defensive duels. He has 4.2 interceptions per 90. Uh, just pour one out for Kyle. He's averaging over 80% completed passes uh, per game. So just wanted to throw that out there in terms of Kyle, Alexandre. Again, I think if you can find a way to bring him back at this point, like you have to do some damage control. Maybe that's a, that's something that you know that that could be done for a few players. Again, if we're talking Christian Gutierrez as well, like a cheap-ish Canadian fullback who can certainly provide you value and at least not fill up an international spot, you'd like to find a way to 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 get that you know sorted out. But especially Kyle Alexandre, I think there's a player in there, but. One thing I'll realize, and this kind of sums up about Kyle and Kava, I'd take both of them back personally. Just I think, again, Kava has shown that he can produce. I just, for Kava particularly, I'd take him at a certain ticket. Like, okay, maybe not a DP striker. Uh, just, you know, see what you can do there. Uh, but as, as a TAM player, I'd personally say in terms of what he's produced, it would make sense. As for Kyle, it, you know, I, I'd take him back. This is the one thing the, the pondered though however in this case is one nice thing is say Kyle and Cavallini go it does offer you a lot of roster flexibility why do I say that all of a sudden if you're Kyle if you sort out a deal for one of your your promising U22 guys between Vita and Diver I think honestly you keep Vita just because he seems you know so he's young and he seems to to be a guy who's on the precipice of a breakout you know, for as good as Diver Caicedo has been, maybe it's it just sucks he has an injury. Maybe find a way to, to find a suitor for him in Europe. I mean, I'm sure some smart teams who have seen the data would take a punt on him. What that means is you get down to one U22 initiative player. And then what that would mean is if with Cavallini departing, that would all of a sudden give you two DP spots because Kubas, I'm pretty sure, is still a TAM player. That would not be the worst alternative, I think, to consider if you're the Caps because obviously I think I'm... T- I'd be fine if say okay you bring back Kyle you, you, you like in that case you run it back with Diver because you still have the three U U twenty two, and then you bring in one DP of your choice okay a striker etc. I'm fine with that, but if you have the targets lined up, I do not hate the idea of being able to work with two DPS ahead of a Champions League campaign. So that's one thing worth considering with Kyle and Kava. Maybe it's just a situation okay you've realized the bird bridges have been burned and you're already looking at. Elsewhere, if that's the case, I'm good with it. But if this is a kind of like, uh, we're not really sold on Kyle, we can't, we could repair the relationship, but we don't really want to, but we don't really know what we're going to do with this spot, then I'm a little more iffy. But if there is a plan to a clear plan to clear things out and get duty two DPs, it's not ridiculous. Well, I think your point's really, really good because uh, that added roster flexibility. I think if they were they were on the precipice of thinking about walking away from those guys the added flexibility it provides might just give them that shove over the edge right like if there wasn't a roster upside then maybe they'd work a little harder to uh, make it make it work but if they have targets they like if they can free up spots uh, you know nico soverhill might be looking at it and go maybe this makes more sense so yeah, I think those are two key guys to track because, as you said, it opens up a lot if they move on from them. 
And uh, it's also if they if they keep them, if they bring them back, then uh, there's a pretty big microscope on those guys next year. They need to contribute and perform uh, to make bringing them back worthwhile. So that's something to track. Uh, Alex, should we move on to, I mean, those are roster options in a sense, but now we're going to kind of dive into uh, some of the nuts and bolts of guys that were re-signed, guys whose options were picked up, and guys whose options are yet to be picked up. And we'll kind of run through some names here. Yeah, I mean, let's just dive right in, really. Don't have much else to, to say. So I think going through some of the the news and notes that happened, Luis Martins is back. I'd have to assume at some sort of uh, reduced salary. Um, you know, he, he ended up coming in at a 329K I, ticket. I would say, which... how does that work for, if you're an MLS veteran with years of experience, doesn't your salary essentially have to increase? Is that not why Nerwinski and Tybert are on such high tickets? I think it's because um, we're options and they re-signed. And then like when you re-sign and you put in the options, it kind of has to go up year over year. That, I mean, that's just natural because like you assume the cap's going up. You're not going to offer a low ball deal where, hey, Jake Nerwinski, you're 25. Like every year your contract's going to get lower and lower. So that's obviously not going to happen. So, like, but in theory, then because Martins is just signing a brand new contract, they might be able to get him at a reduced ticket. You think? Because he was making something in the neighborhood of three hundred and fifty k, was he not? Um. Yeah, he was making three hundred k, and that was for half a season. So there's a strong chance it prorates, um, to you know, to to an even higher number. So what I think maybe happened was, again, this is all speculation, so don't take my word for it, I suppose, but from what reading between the lines of how this all played out and then how it was worded in the year end, it sounds like he signed for this year with club options for 23 and 24, which salary would have seen his salary gone up. And then the white caps probably said, look, you made a lot of money this year. We want to keep you around, but we're going to decline your option. Like, you know, because it's a club option, we're going to decline your option. We just can't afford to pay you that, but we'll take you back just at a lower ticket. Cause that would make sense. I mean, he had his club option. It was declined, but then they re-signed him. So I think it would make sense if he comes in at a lower ticket. If it does, it makes zero sense. Cause now finding out that he makes more than Christian Gutierrez, that, that would make that move, you know, not playing Christian Gutierrez looking that much worse. So Luis Martins, he's back. Uh, we assume at a lower ticket, but I suppose we won't find out till May of next year unless anything leaks before that. Uh, otherwise, going through some well, of the it's other just, MLS. It's just curious because uh, you know this was the guy that takes up an international spot, had no offers, was just you know not playing until the Whitecaps picked him up and they, they didn't use him for 85% of the season. And now he's one of the guys that uh, you know, gets a shiny new contract going into 2023. So, uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see how it pans out. I think it's a pretty obvious indication that they're uh, pushing forward with this, uh, you know, three and a half of the back strategy they employed at the back end of the year. And, uh, yeah, I just, it, it seems like you're betting on a pretty small sample size. But, uh, but as you said, if the risk is relatively low, then it, it gives you a lot less to worry about. My question is, what the hell did those no negotiations look like last year? Where it's like, you're not playing. You're a free agent. You don't have a club. Here's a 300K a year. And I, I imagine the, the offer probably went something along the lines of like, where do I sign? Like, how, how much are flights to Vancouver? Like, that must have been one heck of a negotiation process. But jokes aside, um, otherwise, some other team news. 
Um, so Sebastian Berhalter is back. Uh, Isaac Bomer is back. Julian Gressel is back. Ryan Raposo is back. Uh, quick, dead, uh, you know, quick bit of info on all of those. Uh, Gressel came in in a ticket of un- just under a million last year, so he's a bit pricey, but he obviously won't be a DP. Brings MLS experience, so obviously the Whitecaps are going to look to make up for maybe some of the money there elsewhere. Uh, as for the other ones, pretty straightforward and no nonsense. Burhalder comes in at 137,000, so probably a slight increase on that. He was valuable, I think, in, a, in depth or starting. You can kind of do both. He'll be a good tweener, I think. I think in the best Whitecaps lineup, he won't start. But if a guy like Burhalter is on your bench, that is the sort of value maximization we maybe not haven't always seen in the past. Otherwise, Reiner Post, 114,000. Not sure if his generation Adidas has expired. Usually it's something about five years after he's drafted. Uh, and he was drafted in 2020. So I think it's probably close to being over, if not over. Either way, he's probably coming in relatively cheap. Although, it, since it was a club option, he still could be on it. Not 100%. Well, the, sure. so the only nice. thing I remember about raps was that we were talking before last season about the generation adidas contract coming to an end and that if raposo didn't do something this year he might be out of mls and then obviously he had a really good breakout year and so now they're not looking at that so uh i i don't know if there's still option years and they're just kind of picking that up but i remember us talking about you know he might be he might be in trouble if he was out of contract at the end of this year but obviously a, a really good contributor so that didn't end up being a thing well just googling here it says three-year salary with two one-year options okay so sounds like i guess it was more of a case of genuinely like would he be back or not and it was less of okay would he so this would be the first of his two option years then yes okay that'd be correct so interesting because yeah that would make sense because he said he was almost sent on loan like they were saying he was at yvr and then he ended up coming back that would make sense i guess they would have loaned him and then declined his option and let him go in the abyss so certainly a big year for ryan raposo pays off otherwise isaac bomer comes in at league minimum if i'm not mistaken so makes sense to, to have goalkeeping depth i mean sam much to say about uh those four no, very little, really. I mean, Julian Gressel, obviously, you acquired him late in the year. Uh, I, I don't think he probably performs the level he was hoping to, probably not to the level the club was hoping he would, but uh, I think uh, some fresh runway next year, and I expect a lot out of him. And then I would you know, bunch those three young guys together. They're all low-risk, high-upside, um, especially with Raposo having the year he had. Burhalter still super young, a lot to offer. Uh, you need organizational depth at keeper. So nothing too complicated to say about those guys. I think the declined options are the ones where it gets a little bit more interesting. Yeah, well, I feel like I maybe I don't know if I did this backwards or not. I'm going to go for those who aren't coming back because the ones in the middle are the more interesting ones. Yeah. Uh, so the ones, well, they did not exercise an option on Daniel Bikel. That one makes sense. I mean, I would have loved to see him play. Obviously, there wasn't a plan. Does feel a bit like a devalued asset how it went between the loan and then him coming back and not between playing. Between two and three million in a transfer fee down the drain, which is uh, which is rough. And a hefty salary just and he didn't play a lick. Like that one feels weird. But again, what's nice here is 
the Whitecaps are moving on and cutting their losses. Because we we talked about this earlier about the Whitecaps being ruthless. You talk about players that might be kept don't, around just because oh, it's a three don't million. Don't double asset. down just because you made a mistake. Because again, I I'm of the opinion that Daniel Bakel could be a good player. I think someone in MLS who is smart and takes a, a flyer on him now that he's available for a free could end up getting very shrewd value. But you can only admire the ruthlessness to not double down there. David Egbo, he is not returning. That one makes sense. Always was a bit weird given he was international and just, you know, the, the whole, all the COVID stuff last year, never really got a chance to set his foot. I think he'll, hopefully he can do well in the, in the USL. He seems like a very nice guy team. The, even though he was here for a short time, he, a lot of his teammates seem to uh, adore him. And then lastly, Evan Newton as well. It was on loan. We forgot he was even around. He's gone. Not much to say there. Lastly, the one that's a bit okay more, it makes sense, but it's a bit more, I guess, sad from a young Canadian standpoint. He joins the many, the Patrick Metcalfs, who again, is doing very good in the Norwegian second division, by the way. Shout out to Pat Metcalf, who actually might be playing in the first division next year. But Mike, will Michael Baldissimo join him? Who knows? But he is looking for a new club next year. He's eligible for the MLS re-entry draft. I actually wouldn't hate a team taking a punt on him just because he's he's a homegrown and under the new rules, he counts as a domestic if he goes to the U.S. And I think if you're a smart team who has a really strong defensive midfielder and you want to play a double pivot, he can have a kind of value uh, in the right system. But uh, Michael Baldissimo is no more. So those are the four Whitecaps options declined and not returning. Yeah, well, so I already commented on Bakel, Evan Newton, not, not a ton to say there, to be honest. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, David Egbo, uh, just a shame we didn't get to see him. Uh, there, there was certainly some hype coming out of college, but this is the, this is the MLS Super Draft for you. You just, you never quite know how it's going to work out. Um, and then, yeah, for Baldy, I know with Mark DeSantos back in the day, because uh, I chatted with Mark about this several times, it was such a love-hate relationship. I think no one believed in Baldy more than MDS, but yet at the same time, no one was harder on Baldy than MDS. And uh, he got a lot of a lot of chances in that system. Unfortunately, switching to Vanny, uh, just Baldy never really fit. He's a very specific type of player that only works in certain systems, and and it was already a long shot for him to just be a day in day out you know high quality contributor at the mls level so i think he's got to go get some runs somewhere um you know cpl obviously seems like a good fit so tough to see another local academy guy not stick at the, at, the, at the mls level that's uh that's disappointing but uh, i think ultimately this is what needed to happen for for baldy to continue his own uh, individual career so uh you know i think i'm I'm a supporter of these guys as individuals first and foremost, especially the young guys out of the academy. So prefer to see them have success somewhere than uh, try to force them to have success at the white caps if it's not meant to be. Uh, but that one, yeah, it's tough to see these, these young guys uh, who've, who've been around the club for so long uh, have to move on. But I think all four of these decisions are relatively straightforward at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think one thing to be said about Baldissimo, I think he's the last one of that lost generation, I'd say I'd call it just that group of 97s, I think it was, 96s to 01s, 02s, who just lack of second team really killed them. And honestly, it's, you know, it's unfortunate because, again, you look at how how well some of these guys are doing. You look at the, all the guys in CPL who've kind of resurrected their careers, like the Carducci's, the Campbell's, obviously the Chung's who, who you know, who went from Whitecaps 
in the abyss to CPL to MLS. So there's obviously some success stories. You look at Damiano Pasil, Theo Bear, Patrick Metcalf, uh, Simon Coline. Like it's great just to see these guys on the feet on their feet, and hopefully Michael Baldismo can do the same. Because yeah, he's pretty much what one of the last holdover from that kind of lost generation who didn't have a second team, and we're on that wandering traveling u23 team experiment that uh, didn't end up working out in the end so hopefully he can find his feet one thing i'll say about baldissimo technically there weren't m- many better out there at the white caps like his ability to just spray the ball with both feet got you excited but in the end didn't necessarily fit the system it was you know a big adjustment to learn the game uh, at the mls level in terms of defense at times like you he's not never shy for a tackle but sometimes it's always more than just that at the MLS level. So for Baldissimo, he's still relatively young. I think he's 22, if I'm not mistaken. I just hope he finds a good landing spot. If maybe he has to go to the CPL, dominate a few years, and then we're talking about him uh, in 2024, 2025 as a, a next big thing. Maybe, again, a team in MLS takes a flyer. He's eligible for the reentry draft. He'd be cheap. He'd be a domestic in the U.S. Maybe there's a, an option uh, to, to look at there. Otherwise, maybe you go to Europe. I think he genuinely would do well in Europe just because it's more, you know, technical, less physical, which actually suits his game very well. But uh, unfortunately, that won't be with the Whitecaps. Moving on, we are going to, I guess we can kind of just go one one by one by these and just kind of throw in our two cents. We'll be quick on some and, and longer on others. I have one question. I, I should know the answer to this as someone who co-hosts a Whitecaps podcast. But, you know, kind of speaking of lost players... Do the Whitecaps still have anything to do with Yasser Kamiri, or is that relationship over? What's the what's the contractual status there? I think he, he, they just uh, it was ended. <laughs> I think it was. But just, it, but was he not he, still technically a member of Whitecaps up until the end of this season, or or did that end at the beginning of twenty twenty two? I think it ended because yeah, it says last year that he he signed permanently for san antonio okay. at the beginning of 2022 because okay. he was oh his contract was terminated if i'm not mistaken with the white caps so or it was oh. like um because I, I remember uh, he did sign a long-term deal when he came to the white caps so i was just wondering if there was still some sort of club control over that it was one of those guys that you feel like just fades into oblivion and you, you don't really keep track of yeah i mean shout out to uh to yasser kamiri he's you know him and shout out to him and PC Gyro because PC Gyro actually won the USL Championship Supporter Shield this past week as captain and got to lift the trophy. So just shout out to him because he was an, always a nice guy. The to, magical to left but, um, foot of PC. I always remember that at training. Great, great dead ball stunning. set piece taker. Okay, but anyways, sorry for the diversion. We can dive <laughs> in now to the uh, contract negotiations that are still ongoing because these are perhaps the the most interesting. Yeah, well, I'll go through these one by one and we can say what we need to. If it's a lot, if it's a little, we'll see. Um, I don't know where to start because I want to keep things interesting. Let's start Cody Cropper. Let's start simple. Uh, his So these are the guys whose options were either declined or they're on loan or et cetera. So they're still figuring out. It's TBD. It's in the air. No one knows. So Cody Cropper, uh, they he has an option. It was it, So it wasn't, I guess, it doesn't say if it was officially declined or at least it was declined, but now they're negotiating Cody Cropper. Well, I mean, for me, we've talked about the goalkeeping situation before. Uh, I think you either you either let Hassal be the number one, you bring in someone young to compete with Hassal for the number one, or you bring in a proven vet to be the starter and you ship Hassal out on loan. And Cody Cropper just doesn't fit into 
any of those three scenarios, right? It's a guy without upside that will kind of compete with us all, but you're in this weird limbo that they were in the entire year. So to me, it makes absolutely no sense to bring him back. And that's not a knock on Cody Cropper. I think for a backup MLS keeper, it's actually probably really good value and a useful guy to have in your squad. I, I know without a doubt that someone in the league will pick him up and, and sign him to a contract because reasonably reliable keepers are rather difficult to find. But I just don't think uh, roster building wise, he's a, he's a fit for the white caps the way they want to go moving forward. So uh, nothing against Cody, but uh, I feel like that's a simple one. And I'd be very surprised if they brought him back. Yeah. And I think what this kind of shows, it's a good point. Cause again, hopefully Cody Cropper lands on his feet uh, somewhere. Just, it doesn't seem to make sense for the white caps and, now that I realize, especially since the name Evan Newton's been thrown around, I'll I'll add in Brian Meredith for good measure. That's three years in a row of signing these kind of veteran tweener goalkeepers who maybe didn't have that sort of upside. And in the end, it didn't really lead them anywhere. So I think it's a good point that either you take your lumps and you let these young goalkeepers develop or, yeah, you take a punt on someone, yeah, who's a vet, but maybe it's more of the... Just throwing, you know, I saw this one on Twitter. I don't think it's happened, but like as an example, say Chon Johnson's a free agent right now and he's been always good for New York. You throw a bunch of money at something like that and it's like, okay, at least you're going to have him be the guy for a, a guy like Casal. A very different scenario of. than bringing back Cody Cropper. Yeah, that's what I mean. At this point, it feels like for the Whitecaps, they're better off taking their lumps. They're almost better off, okay, Hassal, Anchor, Bomer, that's your three and you're just going to take your lumps, but at least you're going to learn and you're going to you're gonna get better off of that situation. So no, I agree wholeheartedly. So while it's unfortunate for Cropper, seem to fit in well with the room, just doesn't seem to make sense from a pure playing perspective. And uh, the Whitecaps, yeah, it's three years in a row, veteran goalkeepers are kind of left at the end wondering, what do I do? It kind of feels like that well is maybe run dry. But uh, next, Marcus Godinho. I feel like this one's a little more interesting because he was so cheap. He's good depth, played well for a couple months there in the season. He's Canadian. Uh, Sam, what am I to make of Marcus Godinho? Should the Caps bring him back? Is there a role for him? So this is one where I feel like my like emotion or affection for the player maybe clouds the judgment <laughs> of what the club should actually do because Marcus on the ball is so exciting at times. Uh, and just the way he was able to sort of rebuild his career in Vancouver after we were thinking maybe, you know, he wouldn't even be able to stay healthy. Uh, it's a really feel-good story. My concerns, though, are two things. It's, uh, you know, number one, what, what's the true upside at this point? Have we seen the absolute best that Godinho could produce? And my second is the, the way they shifted the system at the end of the season I think moves further and further away from uh, an ideal role because when they have those true wing backs, I think he fit pretty well into that system. If they're going to play their wing backs more like midfielders, I, I do wonder where that leaves him. I don't know if he has the, you know, the quick one, two passing to really play in a more of a pure midfield role. And yeah, again, I just wonder age injury history, uh, whether or not you know, kind of doubling down, giving him what I'm assuming would be a salary increase is is the right move, or if they want to bring in someone who who fits the profile. But he is Canadian. I don't think he would break the bank. So you know, I can understand why the White Caps are on the fence. But ultimately, I think if we're if this is an off season of uh, of resurrection, an off season of cleaning house a little bit, 
maybe there's a guy you just move on from and bring in someone new for next season, especially given that the system's kind of going away from his strengths. But Alex, curious for your thoughts, because uh, yeah, this is one that I'm I'm definitely on the fence. I think, yeah, all things create equal. I think I'd like to see Marcus Godinho come back again. Canadian depth, cheap, kind of ticks a lot of boxes that the Whitecaps haven't always ticked. And you look at some of the money at the front end of a roster, doesn't hurt to to bring in uh, some depth. Actually, although I will confirm what Marcus Godinho is on because I've been throwing around cheap a bunch. He's on 88K a year. That's nothing for a Canadian. So I'd say if it works out, yes. You know, other than that, cause really the only thing is like if I want an alternative, because Gressel's the guy you're assuming kind of at that fullback or wingback slash position. My only thing is, do I want the Whitecaps to go out and chase another Gressel-like player? I don't think they need to. So my only alternative is more young CPL guys. Like if you can take a punt on like a Kunle Data Luke, I'd be a lot more interested. So unless my option is unless you, you're able to to maybe negotiate a deal like a Kunle Data Luke, maybe you move Ali Ahmed up to the first team. And if Marcus Godinho is the reason that those kind of moves can't happen, then I'm a little more on the fence about it. But if not, I think if you don't have any sort of contingency plan or you don't have any plans like that, I think it makes sense to bring back Marcus Godinho. So that's kind of how I see it. It's not necessarily a move that's, oh, like if they clear out Marcus Godinho, they can get a star, you know, they can they can get like a, a top one right back in MLS. Like, I don't think that's what's going to happen. It's This is more either way depth. So unless the, the alternatives coming in is, again, like a CPL standout, uh, you know, like a Zach Fernandez, a, a Kunle Data Luke, or it's a guy like uh, Ali Ahmed getting a promotion, you know, some of those guys on the second team. I have no issues him coming back. So his ticket would probably be less than six figures. And even if it is slightly on the low end of six figures, because not only is he depth, he can play. He's shown that he can go and start and consistently be a good player for you. So would make sense. Yeah, I like the way you broke that down. It's just if if there's a young guy that, you know, a young prospect that you're excited about that you think could maybe come in, you know, have upside, you don't want Godinho standing in the way. But um, if that's not going to happen, then it would make sense to bring him back. Okay, who's next on our on our list? Well, let's go through. This one's a tough one. Jake Nerwinski. Obviously, he's been at the club for so long. I think the second longest tenured player, but obviously questions about what his best position is. He made it 280000 last year. So obviously there's the two sides, a leader, someone who's been around, genuine great guy. I mean, no, no one will ever have any complaints about dealing with Jake, but unfortunately a big ticket and maybe not a spot for him on the roster. So this is one where I feel like sending a message is almost as important as the decision on the player itself, right? So you could bring Jake back for around the same ticket, I would think, and just have him be a depth piece. You don't want him starting week in, week out. I think the Whitecaps know that. But I think there's almost value in Russell Tybert you might not be able to move on from. Jake Nerwinski, you have the opportunity here to kind of say, we're making some changes. This isn't the same team. And I think, unfortunately, for Jake, he's a he's a real easy way of saying we're moving on to 2023. So I think they can find similar depth defenders elsewhere in the league, and it just might be time to move on to uh, to change the guard a little bit. So for that reason, I, I think they should move on. Uh, I feel bad for the guy because he's always great to chat with. Uh, I really like him and. Uh, He's had, you know, he's had ups and downs at the club and, and been around for a long time. But I think it just makes sense to uh, to change the guard going into 2023. So 
that that's I would say let that one be unless you're getting amazing value. And even even so, I'm not sure that it really is worth it or makes sense. Well, I'm torn because I do think it's it'd be nice to keep some sort of person who's been around for so many highs and lows, and he's you know he's seen sort of things. But I again I agree. I think at this ticket, I can't happen. It can't happen at this ticket. If you can negotiate it. Because uh, I just do think he's been around the city so long. He's been a good ambassador for the club. It doesn't hurt to have guys like but that it's around. Different. But at this it, point, Gauld, White, you know, Ranko, those are your guys. Nerwinski and Tybert are no longer the core. They might be the semblance oh, yeah. of what was once a core, but the the core of the team's completely different now. And so I think this is a this is a way to just kind of move on and and indicate okay. Gauld, Gressel, Schopf, White, you know, you're the guys now. No one's standing in your way. Yeah, and I think that's very fair. I think, and I mean, as I said kind of earlier at the top when we talked about Tybert, I think I'm op- I'm more than open with, okay, you need to clear something out. I just think it's, I don't, if, say, like, I'm in a scenario where, okay, you have to probably get rid of at least one of, say, Nerwinski, Tybert, probably just one. I'm more of, okay, keep Nerwinski and get rid of Tybert. But uh, I mean, you bring up a good point that Tybert might not go. In that case, I agree. It would make sense for Nerwinski. I'm just, okay, if you can get him at 100, 150K, I think it would just be good based on a lot of those intangibles. I know I don't want to go in on intangibles, but intangibles for 250K, no, you got to be cutthroat. But intangibles for 100, 150K, I don't hate because he can be serviceable. But uh, unless it comes in at 150K, the one thing I'd say is this: that was my... That would be my argument for keeping. I think my also my argument for not having him let go, you make the good point for leadership, that'd be point one. But honestly, point two, again, you could replace him with some very good quality, cheap depth that fits your system. And that's, again, it's like Godinho. It's like, okay, if you have, if you can, if Nerwinski leaving means you can go again, um, for all these guys, like, doesn't have to be big replacements. Again, CPL players will probably do the job in terms of like, if you're going out there and, you find a way. I don't know. I'm trying to think of some some names you can maybe call me. So we got our usual suspects. You got your Amir Didiches. You got your your Dominic Zators. But you know, maybe yeah, you're maybe you're able to to call up some maybe called Valor and you try to bag or try to get a Nassim Mekidesh off of their system. I mean, I'd say get Christian Campania back from uh from Halifax, but I thought that who knows if that can happen. But uh, yeah, I think you're better off maybe just getting some cheap Canadian young CPL depth. And moving on if the price isn't right. And, and Norwinski will certainly land on his feet in MLS. So I think I'm more on the fence of having him leave, much like Godinho, but I'm also of the say so if the price is right, he's not someone I'd be like, okay, this is a huge problem to have him around if it's the right price. Okay, next up on the uh, the current negotiation list. Unfortunately, Leo Owusu. <laughs> And this one, this one's a tough one because just Leo, man, he's he, when he's on, he's on. He's he's a baller. Uh, just always brings the vibes to the pitch when when he's feeling he can play. But uh, obviously, he's always been on a bit of a big ticket, which is always gonna make things raise the scrutiny. He's on four hundred k, just a lot, uh, especially for you're not going to potentially play with. You look at Kubas, uh, you know, potentially Berhalter being ahead of him, uh, Shop. Who knows? Maybe Kyle comes back. He he could be ahead of him uh, with a good after a good loan stint and good off season. Who knows? Maybe they upgrade that position. Uh, so I unfortunately think like Bakel Awusu could very well be on the way out again. Maybe at a, at a lower number, I'd consider it for depth just because uh, 
you know, he's, he does genuinely, you know, he's been good in what I've seen from him. But this is also one where I think you look at the money, you look at the position of the field, it would make a lot of sense to to maybe leave him to the wayside. Yeah, this is one where I think, uh, you know, the price you're paying and, and just ultimately kind of taking up space on the roster, getting in the way of other guys means that it doesn't make sense. And I think at this point there's just uh, – you sort of you have a pretty good idea what Leo can do in MLS, and and there just isn't that upside there that makes makes it worth keeping him around. So I think kind of like Bakel, um, it's one that you you probably don't want to double down on y- your recruitment decision. You just want to uh, you know clean house and move on. And that's that's nothing against Leo. It's just uh, one of those players that never fully settled in at the club, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, the last couple of years have been tough for a lot of reasons, uh, trying to settle in. So uh, it's certainly understandable and, and hope that he lands on his feet somewhere. But I'm, I'm imagining this is an easy decision for Overhull, Schuster, and co. Well, it's, I think unlike the Godinho and Norwinsky where they're on cheap enough and it can, it's realistic and it's positions maybe where you it wouldn't hurt to have depth. Like the midfield's pr- not like not stacked, I'd say, but the midfield's in good health. And... I think if you're going to have a Wusu, even if it's 300k sitting on the bench again, I'd say if you're if you're the Whitecaps, you go to Pacific and you throw a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or whatever it takes to get Shania, or you go over to York and you throw two hundred thousand at Isaiah Johnson, and that's you're probably better off doing that. Maybe have those a player like that in the second team on the fringes of the first team, and at least grow from there. And that's just the thing. Like if you're going to have veteran depth. They need to either be cheap or, you know, provide a certain upside. And I think Awusu, again, he has a certain upside. So he does, you know, he's, he takes that box. But unfortunately, at that price, uh, it doesn't make sense. So sucks because I'd love to see Leo Awusu do well for the Whitecaps. And I think if a, a smart team comes in and maybe gets him at a good price on like the re-entry draft or something like that, uh, if he's eligible for that, I'd say that could be a smart move. But unfortunately for the Whitecaps, it might not uh, be the case. Yeah, always, always tough to see uh, these guys potentially move on because uh, you know you you talk we talk so much about Leo over the course of the last couple of years, um, but uh, you know that's that's the way it goes sometimes. So okay, uh, how many we got left here on the on the negotiations list? Um, as the sirens go off here, fittingly, as we're getting to the fun, the emergency stuff. But now there's one more. Relatively straightforward one, I'd say, before we get to the real, the, the juice, the beef of this, to St. Ricketts. I mean, for me, it's a no-brainer. I, I mean, surely it's just X's and O's, it's numbers, it's where do, the Where do we line. sign? It's, where do we sign? Uh, you, you can't you can't give away. That's it. We talk about leadership. If you're gonna, especially if you're gonna let go of a Nowitzki, especially if a if a, a Russell Tybert could potentially be able to go to St. Ricketts has to be there. Like, I think if not only like uh, from a pure playing standpoint, I think he still has a lot to give. I mean, four goals and like no minutes, the energy he brings. Y- yes. But just the leadership, what he's been able to do off the field. Like that's a guy that you want around your club in some form or another. So I say you just hammer out whatever, like it's literally a question of you set the terms like to St. Ricketts. If you want to play again, another year, you say that okay, and then you know if he wants to retire, okay. Well, then you, you offer a different contract for the front office. So, for me, I don't know. The St. Ricketts decision is pretty straightforward. I don't know if you you differ in opinion on that one, Sam. No, absolutely not. I think yeah. Again, it's like unlike Tybert and Irwinski, this is like great leadership you can bring back with really very low risk, right? Like he's not gonna he's not gonna beg for minutes. He's gonna do everything you ask. 
Um, if you need substitute, you know, you need a guy to come on in the 80th minute and uh, maybe bag a goal. His his goal production this season per 90 was actually off the charts good. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's an easy one, low risk, uh, just a, you know, guy that brings, brings the positive vibes, brings some leadership. Um, he's part of the identity of the club and, uh, yeah, that's, it's an easy one. And I don't think that the demand will be too much. doesn't take an international spot. I mean, we, we could go on, but yeah, yeah, this is an easy one. Yeah, just for reference to St. Ricketts ended up having just over a hair, 570 minutes, all comps. So this includes can champ. She did play a good role and some big games. He had 0.62 goals per 90, which is just off the chart. 0.38 XG, which is also quite absurd. And uh, knowing him, also his per rates in terms of uh, defensive actions, always uh, at a decent rate. So, and so you can get that. And and you, and... had a couple goals called off within that, which really even would make it look more impressive. So again, if you get a third of that value off the bench. You're 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 smiling. You're laughing to the bank. So, St. Ricketts. I I feel like that one's straightforward. Now let's get fun. I mean, actually, no. Let's not get fun because I feel like this one's a no brainer. But it's a question of what happens. Derek Cornelius. So the club confirmed this week because uh, he's currently on loan. It's a bit of a complicated one. He's about to finish his one point five year loan in December. Uh, Panatoliko supposedly have an option to buy based on what is said. Um, because obviously they triggered the one-year extender last year because it was originally like a six-month with the one-year extender. Um, but obviously now it's coming up to an end, but they have that purchase option, but they're negotiating. I mean, Sam, I think we know whether we'd want Derek Cornelius back, but maybe just a word on that, and do you think it's possible? Well, yeah, this one's interesting because obviously the Whitecaps want Derek Cornelius back. They have almost no healthy fit ready to go center backs other than Dranko Veselinovic. So uh, uh, you even if you had Derek Cornelius at previous level when he was a white cap, you'd want him back, but especially given his development as a player. The question is, uh, can you get him back? How do those negotiations go with the Greek club? Also, does the player want to come back to Vancouver is a big question. Um, so that needs to be sorted out. I don't know uh, what DC is thinking, what, uh, what the Greek club is thinking. But obviously huge if you can bring him back, um, you know, have a domestic center back holding things down. I also think he would be a good fit for, uh, for the three, three and a half of the back system. Uh, so going to be interesting to see how it goes. But uh, the, I think the club's motivation is clear that if they, if they can get him back, they, they'll, they'll certainly look to do that. Yeah, and I think there's a few boxes to talk about here. I think, first of all, the Whitecats need a left-footed center back. He ticks that box. That's of utmost importance. He's improved his possession game a lot, which would help. I think the Whitecaps could use that on the left side. Um, he's domestic. His ticket wouldn't be ridiculous. All those boxes make sense. I think it's a no-brainer. I think a back line of Derek Cornelius, Franco Veselinovic, and Tristan Blackman, I think that's more than what they need at the moment. I think that would certainly get the job done and from there i would ease a lot of the burdens and then if that's your back line say going into next year i'm fine and maybe you, you add in some depth there to like you go to the cpl or you because we're going to talk about it in the, the white cap center back situation all of a sudden the departure of christian campania makes things interesting maybe you run i guess mateo campania 
uh, as as a backup, I guess, Florian Youngwood still could technically be around, which we'll get to in a sec, by the way. Obviously, Javane Brown as well as a potential outside center back. All of a sudden, I think if you bring Cornelius, it just fills a lot of gaps. And what's worth noting is a few things to throw out here. First, I'll say it off the top before I forget. You know, there's some questions. Oh, they're saying they're negotiating. It probably means nothing. Panatolikos are going to trigger his purchase option, yada, yada, yada. For what it's worth, it sounds like there's some genuine smoke there. Like there's genuine, I wouldn't say a fire, but it sounds like there's smoke there. It sounds like, the, you know, there is a genuine possibility Derek Cornelius does return. So I'll throw that out there now. That sounds from what I've been hearing. Uh, and then as for the other things, there's the national team. I think there's just the reality that he might, it might actually be better for him to go to MLS for the national team, just because Greece, it's one of those, it's one of those leagues where it's like beyond the big Olympiacos and, you know, Panathinaikos and, uh, you know, AF, AIK or no, AF, AK Athens or whatever it is. It's one of those leagues where it doesn't necessarily get rated as highly. And we've seen some players, you know, we'll throw out the famed, uh, you know, uh, Stefan Mitrovic, that whole situation where John Herdman didn't necessarily rate. Uh, or, or the the teams at the bottom of the Serbian league aren't rated as high as your Red Stars and your your Partizans and Greeks. One of those situations. So as seen by Derek Cornelius, he's been unable really to to get past Scott Candy in the depth chart. But uh, I think in MLS, if he's playing regularly, that that chances those chances increase. So those things are worth considering. It could actually boost his national team chances to come home. So I'm sure with the Whitecaps are talk with Panatolikos, maybe that something as simple as okay, like they give a fee. And, you know, they say, okay, here's your, your fee. Maybe they send another player on loan. Like, for example, like it wouldn't be dumb if like it's such a wild concept. Maybe you throw like a Leo Wusu at them be like, look, like here's a player that you could help. Here's depth. And we just want Derek Cornelius back, you know, or, you know, even you throw a Daniel Bikel because Daniel Bikel wants to go back to Europe. You know, you, I'm sure they're looking at all solutions, but either way, you do what you got to do because I think Cornelius would be a no-brainer signing, even if he wasn't Whitecaps property, but especially so that he's on loan. Like, it makes so much sense on so many fronts. Yeah, not much to add to that. I think, you know, they got to gotta do what they can to, to get it done. So it would be a big move for this recruitment staff, for this group, if they're able to sort of revitalize that project and, uh, yeah, get you know, get an MLS starter out of DC next year. And um, it, it could go a long way to, you know, improving the Whitecaps in 2023 if they're able to do that. Yeah, well, we've talked at nauseum how they need center backs. So if you can get a quality national team level one falling on your laps, you'd be pretty foolish to say no. But otherwise, speaking of center backs, before we get to the fun one, Florian Youngworth, he's eligible for free agency. So he's, his contract's straight up up, but they're looking to bring him back. I mean, I don't know if you have much to add, Sam. I mean, imagines for that, it's probably something. I do wonder if the part of the negotiations between to St. Ricketts and Florin Youngworth is that they want to use Youngworth in that initiative MLS has launched where you're allowed one player per year to have a special exempt salary and they'll be on the roster, but they'll also start to do another thing for the club, like a coaching or a front office. It's what Ricketts appeared to be on last year. It's what Andy Rose was on before. I do wonder if they're negotiating between Ricketts and Youngworth saying, okay, Youngworth, because he's, it sounds like he's interested to stick around and stick and and coach, but also it could be a you know good to have him around as CB depth. So I do wonder if that's what's going on. But I think if you can get him for dirt cheap, he's a vocal leader. He's a guy who seems to be liked, and I mean if he wants to continue his coaching career here, you can never have a uh, you know too many coaches who know the league uh, who are getting their start. Well, yeah, I think he was an assistant coach on the the U seventeen residency team, correct? 
So, um, uh, or at least he had he had some kind of role um, on the coaching side this season. So I imagine he gets the Andy Rose treatment in some capacity. Does that involve coming back in a playing capacity? Does it involve just coaching? I don't know. It remains to be seen. But sounds like Flo wants to stay around. Uh, but I think it, it was very obvious in the minutes he played this season that he lost a significant step. And uh, yeah, the the deeper you get in the other side of the 30, sometimes you just don't get that back. And so I think it's uh, it would be a liability to play him more than you absolutely had to at the MLS level at this point. And I think that's there's no arguments there. I mean, his snarl will always be a value. I think he did have some good games. Canadian Championship, he put in some shifts, MLS. So if he's sticking around depth, I wouldn't hate it again. If Maybe that's a negotiation. Like if he's on that like special provisional thing, because it's something like it's like a certain cap, you save cap because you're paying them more because they're obviously doing two roles and he's on the cap at a low price. Like it would make sense. So there, that's pretty much it. Last but not least, before we take a break here and head into some more fun existential questions, Lucas Cavallini, we kind of spoke at it. It sounds like from ba- his club option is up the club or the club looks like they want to decline his option. And then obviously are trying to re- renegotiate a better price. Um, Cause it, you know, his, when he signed uh, from, from uh, Puebla back in 2019, he was signed through 2022. Uh, he had options uh, he had a option for 2023, and that was it. So, Sam, what to do with El Tanque with his nine goals from this season? Well, yeah, this is an interesting one because they're, I guess, they're trying to negotiate him down, right? And they're they're also trying to make it clear that I'm assuming to to put words in the club's mouth that you know he's not going to be this guaranteed day in day out starter next season if he comes back, right? That he would have to fight for minutes, and that you know. Uh, it's going to essentially be an open competition at the striker position. So the question is, is he okay with that? Um, Where do his career aspirations take him? Uh, Because obviously if the player doesn't want to be here, then that's a a serious problem. But I think just from a club perspective, if he's a TAM player um, or if he's, you know, buy downable to a a TAM uh, player and you're able to bring him back, you're able to give him an opportunity to – you know, continue to get what value he can out of the move you made for him. I, I think this is one where, you know, Leo Wusu, Yanio Bikel, maybe makes more sense just to cut bait and, and move on. But I think just walking away from Kava still feels like a little bit of a mistake. Uh, but it's just down to the relationship with the club at this point, his own aspirations, and if they can find a fit there. But I, I like him coming back next year still. Maybe that puts me in the in a minority, but I don't know. That's, that's how I feel about it for better or worse. I I just think at that price, if you can get him at a Tam deal, it would make sense just because considering like, yeah, nine goals isn't wild or anything like there, you know, wasn't top 20 in the league, but for a team that struggled to score, yes, there are a few penalties in there, but you know, but a team that struggled to score to get nine goals considering all his suspensions and everything like you take that again, there are the question. Okay. What to make of all these suspensions? Like, obviously you gotta, you gotta rein it in. Like we say, sometimes the best ability is availability, but I'm just looking here. Now this is still a player uh, that was averaging 0.49 goals per 90 this year, 0.43 XG at some of it, obviously penalties. So the non penalty XG is lower, but, and he's also a player that's going to run, 
his ass off sometimes for worse in terms of the reckless fouls and and how involved he will get. But this is a player that will certainly provide. So I think if again, that's that's a good way of putting it. I don't hate it if he's the guy next year. Say it's him and White. I don't hate that. I do think if you're the Whitecaps and you do open up a DP spot, you probably look at striker, not in the sense that you need a striker, just maybe more a striker that fits a bit more. Maybe a striker that's maybe a bit more in the same wavelength as a Vite and a Gold. Uh, you know, a guy who runs the channels a little more. Like, you know, White's more of a finish in the box kind of striker and Cavallini's more of a similar, but also hold up the ball and slow things down kind of striker. That's a different discussion, but I think as it stands, you bring him back on a TAM deal, uh, it would make a lot of sense. So it really depends on what you do and look up at, at striker. Cause you have to imagine they're looking at like a, how I describe it funnily enough is a toss St. Ricketts style striker. Think of a toss, a 27 year old toss St. Ricketts style striker who's just bagging goals somewhere in Europe or in South America. That's the kind of striker I think they should be looking at or 25 year old. Uh, so no idea how their search for that kind of player is going. Uh, and what's nice with, you know, you bring back Cavallini, yeah, it's good depth. He can come off the bench. He's proven that this year. He's proven that with Canada. So it's a question of keeping him in reins. Uh, the only question there is what do you do with Brian White? I mean, I think Brian White, he's an ultimate pro. He'll stick around, but it just feels like you're doing him a bit dirty if he falls all the way down to third choice. Although he could certainly help pushing Cava and he could be second choice. But the the thing is with White, it just feels like, there's trade bait in there somewhere. It feels like they really should have capitalized maybe on it last year. Like he was so hot and you, you get Cavallini back and you could maybe swindle a deal for a center back. And it feels now it's a little harder because he was so ice cold, but uh, certainly a Cavallini return does bring up questions of what to do with white. Cause a great team player, someone I think you want to keep around, but a question is, does there maybe there's that value threshold of having him on the bench or having him in a death roll versus what you could get from him elsewhere and having him thrive elsewhere. Yeah, it feels like a lot hinges on can they find that speedy striker that can complement their their attacking and midfield players, and uh, and then can they get value out of Cavallini and White or just White, depending on who comes back in a depth role. Uh, that's definitely something to watch heading into twenty twenty three. And speaking of twenty twenty three, we're gonna we're gonna take a short break, and then we'll be back talking about some themes going into the twenty twenty three season. Hey third sub listeners, Sam here with a quick word from our friends at Macy's Sports. Been a while since we did an ad read, so thought we'd update you on a couple of things available in store. Uh, first and foremost of those, Darby Magazine, issue number two, out now and available for purchase. Uh, if you like good storytelling about Canadian soccer, uh, it's a great writing, great photography, great overall aesthetic. It's a good publication for you. And uh, stories in there on Atiba Hutchinson, Daniel Henry, Julia Grosso as well. Obviously, gold medal winner, also Vancouver Whitecaps women's alumni. So that's awesome. Uh, but beyond Darby, you've also got uh, some fresh offerings from Adidas on the boots front. Um, always apparel, uh, supporters gear, that kind of stuff as well. If you're looking to dive into the summer season with some new kit, or maybe just reading up on a few Canadian soccer stories, Macy's has the stuff for you. So uh, cheers to Macy's as always. Now we'll head back to the show. All right, and we'll close off the show here with uh, a look ahead. 2023, we talked a lot about uh, 
well, I guess we were looking ahead, but now we can, uh, now that the dominoes are, so to speak, are in place, they're falling. Now we can kind of see how they're starting to line up. I mean, we'll talk, we've already kind of been very clear with our wish list, but we can hammer it out one last time. There's an expansion draft around the corner. It's something always worth considering. Um, you know, Champions League coming up. Interesting news this week. I'll throw it in off the hop just because it's interesting. Preseason details were announced for the Whitecaps. Uh, we talked earlier about, you know, some lessons learned in terms of the Whitecaps. I mean, they're preseason this year. No messing around and certainly a good chance as long as no players ask for trades last minute to really build uh, some chemistry and some, you know, some some camaraderie. It sounds like so they're going to Spain for a couple of weeks and right in January to get some of that warm weather uh, train, get ready for Champions League in March as well. Of course, the MLS season. Um, then they're going to come back, train in Vancouver, head down to Palm Springs. So hot weather is the vibe for the Whitecaps. Worth noting just because, again, for the most part, we are only October 22nd. The Whitecaps have two and a half months, plus there's all the World Cup, to sort out their signings. They already have, you look at the squad, at signed as of now, uh, they have 22 signed. Uh, that that number goes up to twenty. Uh, yeah, that's 22, assuming Kayo and Cameron and Habibula come back. But that also doesn't factor in all the eight players we mentioned. They're still negotiating. So I think we can comfortably suggest this may very well be the year, barring any unfortunate trade requests, that they actually have a full squad for preseason. I think considering those plans, uh, that's exciting. But enough with preseason. Sam, we've talked about who coming back, who's et cetera. But there's still some players signed who could be on the way out. So... Let's just throw two. We'll throw the two names at you. The Christian squared, Christian Dahomey, Christian Gutierrez. Feels like for the most part, I've looked at the roster. Isn't too much like, okay, could this player leave? Could this player go? But for the most part, uh, these are the two where the biggest question marks. Who do you want to start with? Well, yeah, these are the guys under contract that, um, you know, we talked about like a Kyle on loan, a Kava, his options in question. These are guys under contract. I mean, Dahomey, just signed a, a long-term extension early last year and it is nowhere near a first-team starter at the moment. Uh, a good player, the Whitecaps' first-half MVP from 2021 and now um, in the abyss. So really, really strange. I, I think given Vanny Sartini's system, if you could find a trade partner within MLS, that would be ideal. The question is who wants to take on that salary and you're unlikely to get any value back for him. So that's tough. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, I think if you can find a move for him in MLS just for the benefit of the player, for the benefit of uh, your roster structure, it might make sense. But obviously a shame to, uh, to miss out on the guy who had some really good moments for the club. But it feels like the paths are just diverging at this point. Christian Dahomey, 800,000 is his ticket this year. For 2021, Christian Dahomey, you take that right now. For a player who doesn't really have a role in the system, that's a bit of a pricey, uh, you know, price tag. And we talk about Whitecaps maybe needing to shore up some other areas. You just do wonder. I mean, it just doesn't seem like the, the player is fully content. And I think at that point, you have to consider moving on. So it's going to be tough just because he's, he's an international uh, we'll see, you know, U.S. teams have less international spots. So, funnily enough, you'd actually probably be more value within an MLS. Like, could a Montreal turn him into something? Could he work at TFC? Although they have a glutton of wingers uh, who they have to deal with. So, 
I think, again, if it's one of those players, we talk about the white caps need for center backs. I mean, the one nice thing is I think a guy like a Dahomey and a, a white could be the sort of players you're looking at if the white caps need to move something out to acquire a center back. So I think it's one of those, if the right deal comes up, you consider it uh, just because it might make sense financially for the player, for the system. And uh, for the white caps, it's best to clear out as many of those sorts of things as possible. It's too bad. It's done. When informed, Dahoe's a great player. He's always brings good vibes, but you got to be, I guess we talk about that ruthlessness. It feels like one player where a situation, this is a good example of, okay, this, you can be ruthless and that money you open up could be immensely valuable if invested elsewhere in the squad. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so the, the next player, Christian Gutierrez, I think uh, it might have even more to do with the, the relationship there than, uh, you know, the roster logistics. Daho, you're excited about opening up a bunch of space. I think Goody for 230, 250k, whatever he's on, that's good value if he's playing at at his top level. But uh, the relationship with the manager, the relationship with the club seems to be frayed, banished to the second team for the for the second half of the season. So uh, Axel Schuster said no one at the club had demanded a move or asked to be moved on. I, I kind of think that's a load because I'm pretty sure Goody wants to go somewhere else. So uh, we'll have to see where it goes this off season. I'd be very surprised if, if Goody is back next season. So uh, Alex, your thoughts. So I would put it. I mean, I think if you can get Goody back and it's Goody and Martins, you run with that for that. Yeah. If assuming if, if you Martin's can walk, on a lower if you ticket. walk Goody off the ledge and somehow get him back in in the good graces of the club, I, w- I would love it. I just don't see it happening. Well, that's it. If you can do that, position of strength, no questions asked. I think, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. Huge week ahead, actually, because uh, one thing is Whitecaps have been training a few extra weeks uh, due to, um, you know, the prepping for Champions League and keeping some of the players fresh. Uh, but Goody has been training with the first team again, just because obviously all the guys still under contract are training and he had an option triggered last year. So he's still under contract. Maybe this, maybe these two weeks are just what you need. Like just a refresh of, Oh, you know, maybe this is what the doctor ordered. I, I just would love to see things work out. I think if not, I do wonder, like it's, it's tough. Cause it's like, it's just so unfortunate the way went the way they did because if, if this was a goody that was semi-playing i feel like you could get a value from him within mls he obviously count as international down in the u.s but surely like a team like a montreal uh, for example they've struggled to find stability at left wing back in terms of like a natural left wing back surely they would be interested i mean crescido is like 38 years old over at tfc i'm sure it wouldn't hurt to to get a little younger gutierrez as a national team player uh to boot as well so i think i do think for gutierrez if it doesn't work out, I think 100% he should seek a move, and maybe there could be some value to extract there. Maybe you call up a Montreal or a couple – even I'd say it actually would make a lot of sense to call up a TFC and maybe exchange quote-unquote headaches. Maybe you get something off of TFC's hands that they don't really want to deal with, and you know you, you, you end up calling it even in that regard. Uh, because, yeah, I think if you can get Gutierrez back, it's great value. But just unless, if that bridge is burned, then do what you can to get any sort of value. But if they can find a way, man, if they can find a way – Absolutely. I mean, so this this kind of brings me to one of the other 2023 talking points I wanted to bring up that we maybe didn't hit on the front half of the show, which is how do you fix the the thing that they never really fixed last offseason, which was bringing in this organizational depth, you know, 
young, cheap domestic or guys at MLS Next Pro. Um, I, I've talked a lot about the Seb Berhalter signing, but it, it feels like they need four or five more of those guys and, and maybe even some of a, of a higher caliber, right? And it's something that we, we saw the Whitecaps depth tested this season and they didn't always have the answers. So as much as we talk about not bringing back options and, you know, I think especially with guys like Nerwinski, Godinho, um, you know, not bringing back Baldy, not bringing back Bakel, not bringing back Owusu, okay, but you have to find the right players to replace them with. Um, and, and that, I think, as much as, you know, maybe bringing in a couple of key targets is going to be a way this organization's tested in the offseason. So, uh, yeah, Alex, maybe just a word on uh, on that element of the roster building because uh, I think it was a really good point um, that I'll shout out Caleb Wilkins as always brought up. That's That's one place where... Uh, the Whitecaps maybe th- under this management group has has failed a little bit, where they've they've hit on their golds, they've hit on their kubases, right? Like the high end guys have been really good additions. Have they supplemented the roster with the? I don't want lower end is a is a bad term to use, but just the the depth pieces that um, you know can kind of find that added value. And you see Philly, LAFC, Montreal they've been able to bring in those young guys and get great value out of them on 80, 100K. But uh, the Whitecaps have struggled to do that. And I think that's going to be key. I think we talked – I think this brings me back to a question we had about a month ago, and it was a key one. We we shifted our discussion, okay, what do the Whitecaps need for 2023? And the question we used was, what do the Whitecaps need to be a shield contending team in 2023? And I think what we've what we started to realize in MLS, your stars can drag you somewhere. Like your stars can get you somewhere. Like Emmanuel Reynoso can drag Minnesota to the playoffs. Like some of these guys on some teams, they get you somewhere. The but difference between a Minnesota, mi- a Minnesota had no depth, no depth whatsoever. Well, that's exactly it. The difference between a Minnesota and a Montreal. You know, they have their Mihailovic, who did some dragging as well. But then they have a Kyoto did his dragging. They have one Yama, and that's just their stars. Then you go to the Miller on nothing, doing so well. Waterman on, you know, a CPL player. Rudy Camacho, who's almost retired, comes back and does a job. You know, you look at Alistair Johnston, which, yeah, they paid a decent amount of jam. But, I mean, a million is still starting to look like a steal already, looking about back a year what they paid for him. Like their depth guys are the reason why they made it as far as they did. Like just Mihailovic, Kyoto, Wanyama, those guys would have made them a playoff team. But it's the difference. You look at Philadelphia, like it's all those darn kids they have pulling out the woodwork, these Jack McGlynn's and Paxton Aronson's. And yeah, I didn't look, you know, a guy like, you know, Julian Carranza, who they were able to pull out of nothing. Like that was a shrewd deal that they were just like, okay, Miami for some reason doesn't rate this player. Let's get him on loan. And he, he goes, scores like 14 goals. Like these are not like, this isn't Philly going like, oh, here's $5 million on the table for a player like that. And I think it's clear. You even look at LAFC. Yes, they're maybe a bit of an exception in terms of how much money they spend. But yes, for all the Velas and Bales and Chiellinis, who funny enough, Bale and Chiellini barely played a role in the end. Uh, but for all that, their biggest moves were, and other than Crepo, but their biggest moves are guys like Mahala who they got from like the second division of Ghana. And he's just been so fun to watch. See Fuentes, who they just plucked out of South America it's all these depth Palacios. They're 18 million center backs. So I think for the Whitecaps, you have to bring depth and you have to bring depth with upside. Because I think that's one thing that's missing too. You can only have so many 38-year-old 
uh, you know, like you had, and you already have your guys like that into St. Ricketts. You, know, you now you need to really hit on some of those depth with upside. So, I, again, I think this season, like we say it every season, but it's really true. Like there is no like if I'm the Whitecaps and I'm Axel Schuster, I'm going out and getting f- three to five CPL players this offseason who are under the age of 25. I don't know if that's ridiculous. Or I think that's fair target. You've already gotten a few with uh, with right and I think for those depth you look at and then you go and you get another couple from your, your second team. Like there's no reason, like if we're talking about all these questions at fullback, Ali Hamid has to get a chance, you know, he's cheap depth with upside. There's no point. And then there's, there's a cost value too. You're telling me Ali Ahmed on a minimum MLS stat, uh, contract. And if it's homegrown, I wouldn't even count against the cap is not worth more than some random depth guy at 150 or 200 K. Those are the sorts of differences that that allows you to add roster pieces elsewhere, that allows you to be a little deeper when you hit the roster crisis in July in your Vancouver and you're always going to be injured. So I 100% agree they need to look for depth. And I think uh, there's no reason, there's enough talent alone between their second team and, and CPL that are domestic and cheap that they shouldn't have a problem at all, should they do it. Because I think now we've seen enough guys like Joel Waterman, you know, even Lucas McNaught in the season he's had uh, with with TFC to prove that okay, these players can play and they can be depth. Well, let's just let's just dive right into it because we're already kind of talking about it. Something we came up with right before the show, which is way too early breakout candidates for twenty twenty three. Because you can obviously you can go get CPL guys, uh, but there's also a couple players in the fold already that they've added. Uh, in 2022 that might take a step forward in 2023. So you got Lowell Wright, you got Easton Ngaro, uh, you still have Cameron Habibula, not to be forgotten about, uh, still part of the organization. Matteo Campania, you mentioned Christian Campania, no longer with the club, but maybe he's a guy that could come back. You got some goalkeeping prospects, Simon Betcher, uh, Emiliano Brienza, who who you have your eye out for in the in 2023? And I'll add as some context to this. Vanny Sartini spoke at the season end conference about having a smaller core first team roster and really wanting those guys at the MLS next pro level to play together. So I think that's going to be fun this season. If a lot of those guys are on that team, what can they do at the MLS next pro level? And then maybe if an opportunity, as you said, injury mid-season uh who can maybe step up and and fill in in a big way yeah well i think for the first part i'll be clear i think ali ahmed deserves to, to sign a homegrown deal i think that's been clear since he's done enough over the last year to suggest that but yes in terms of guys who deserve a shout we had a good point pre-show like if you're the white caps too would it not make a lot of sense to run like a front three that consists of just Cameron Habibula, Lowell Wright, Easton Ungaro, and then add Jay Herdman also rotating into that mix. Because uh, also he's someone not to forget about as a bit of a, a sneaker player who did well in limited minutes this year. So I think there's some there's some damage to have there. I think Cameron Habibula is forgotten, just 18. And we're looking at his numbers pre-show. Like he, yeah, he struggled at times again in the Pacific lineup. That's kind of what happens when you get loaned to a champion level team that's pretty deep in attack and they still got guys like like a guy like Matteo Polisi, as we'll tell, uh, we'll, we'll talk about on this show. Like that's a player who even he, if he's struggling to get burned, like that shows kind of the depth 
that Pacific has in the attack. So to Cameron Abibula, despite that, put up some intriguing numbers, 0.22 XG per 90, uh, some, you know, good offensive stats, considering a lack of minutes, never, uh, you know, bad to consider. He's just 18, first pro season. Maybe some time in the second team is what he needs, just because he was brought on so fast a few years ago, and maybe that wasn't the right plan. Uh, you look at Lowell Wright as well, just 19. You know, a player that has a lot of growing to do. He's already has three pro seasons under his belt. Uh, you look at Easton Ongaro. His is a little more pressing just because he's already, I think, 25. So maybe you really want to see, okay, what do we have there? Uh, if not, maybe, you know, look at some of the younger strikers coming up through the system. Because we look at the Whitecaps. I think, yeah, they want to get as much depth across the field as possible. And it feels like they have some good attacking depth at the youth level. If anything, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at center back and and. We, there's a lot of depth at fullback like Chris Lee. I, I do hope they keep him around because he was very intriguing in the minutes he played. Elijah Ba as well turned him from like a midfielder into a, a fullback. He looked good. But yeah, in terms of center backs, there's some uh, some questions uh, to, to be had there with Campania leaving. What does Mateo Campania do? So really the guys I'm watching for Abby Bula, Wright, Angaro, Herdman. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's those attacking options up front that I think are going to be fun to watch at the next pro level. And as you pointed out, the I mean, it's not only the first team, really throughout this organization, center back depth, just defensive depth, definitely a little bit of question. So that's where if they can pick up guys from other MLS next pro programs, they can find CPL guys they can convince to bring into the fold. If they can just, you know, coach up some of these youngsters, that's, that's an opportunity for growth in 2023 for sure. And uh, I mean, that kind of leads into the overall shopping list for 2023, which we've talked about a bunch, but um, it's really pretty simple. It's the spine of the team minus the midfield in a lot of ways, which is funny because in the past it used to be they needed midfielders and they were kind of good everywhere else as a club. Uh, I think it's, you know, goalkeeper, center back, striker that really feels like the three spots where they can make an improvement we've talked about the goalkeeping we've talked about the striker looking for someone a little more pacey the young toss rickets i think it's center back where things are interesting especially if they don't manage to bring a Derek cornelius back into the fold um you know especially if ranko veselinovich looks for options in europe uh, which is still a possibility obviously the whitecaps would hope to bring him back but i think the CB spot is one where things, uh, depending on how the offseason goes along, could could get really interesting. And, and the profile player they bring in is maybe a little more in question as well. So, Alex, curious for your thoughts there on, you know, center back targets in the offseason. Well, it's it. Needs are built differently. I think the Whitecaps, we've said, need striker. Uh, maybe maybe some slight wingback depth, certainly possibly some midfield depth, and then center back and goalkeeper. Those two, the last two are the probably the two most pressing. I'd say you do need center back depth, no matter what. Especially, it's a great point if Ranko leaves. All of a sudden, you're just you're thin, and you need options. Um, because yeah, otherwise, I mean, like striker, you want it. Yeah, we talk about striker, but that's gravy. Like if you can get an, like I think if you enter the season with the strikers you have now, you're not complaining. Um, but if you get a new striker, of course, you're always gonna be excited by the shiny new toy. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting because it feels like at center back and goalkeeper in particular, they're, they're kind of. Yeah, they do need some top-end options. I mean, again, I feel like you should look for domestic you know, you know, depth options. I don't know if that's an MLS 
option if it's you look in Europe, you look in South America. But 100%, they, I think they need uh, center backs, maybe someone in more of the 25, 26 range, just because it's a, a uh, you know relatively young group. So it wouldn't hurt to have someone in that range. Uh, and then from there, I do think you should also, again, they should be looking at center back upside depth. I think, again, looking at how a guy like Joel Waterman has developed over at Montreal has to be an inspiration uh, for what the Whitecaps uh, could potentially do. So no reason they can't knock on some doors again. I mean, we'll, we'll echo it until the, the, until my, my face goes blue. Maybe we'll do this on a, a future show. I mean, I already have names just leaking out of my brain, uh, it, you know, constantly in terms of CPL players, they should target. I could come up with a list of 10 or 15 that I wouldn't hate. So maybe that's something for future shows, but uh, certainly something to do there. And then in goal, that's the tougher one. Cause I feel like center back is just what I've come to, not, not, not that this is true. Like, I think with their center back situation, it's less, they don't need a star. They don't need a, they don't need like a, not, I don't want to say DP level player because, but they don't need like a DP level hype player either. They don't need a center back where it's like, whoa, this is like a, you know, they don't need like a Mamadou fall to throw that night name out just because like a guy with that sort of like pop at center back. They just need, when it comes to center backs, I'll look at a lot of the top teams around MLS, their center backs didn't exactly come out of, you know, they, they weren't wow signings is what I'm saying. Like a Mamadou Fall for him to become Mamadou Fall, he came out of high school. Kamal Miller to become Kamal Miller. He was a an expansions draft, you know, pickup and was a left back in Orlando. What I'm saying is you don't need to reinvent the wheel to get good at center back. So for the other white, I want the white caps to be shrewd. Look at the CPL, look at around MLS for maybe some guys who are playing out of position, et cetera. And then in goal, I think in goal, you do have to look a little more set. Like you're, you're looking for more of a, someone with a bit more of a resume, I think. Cause at that, that point, if not, you're probably better off keeping Hassan than getting a, a youngster, a, a, an upside guy or c- continuing to push Max Anchor to be that guy in the future. So I think in goal, it's more, okay, you're going for that wow factor, quote unquote. But I think at center back, I generally want to see them. Yeah. Go, go get something you can mold something that can fit your system and really grow and, you know, develop in that system. Cause I think if you're looking around at center backs, that's the best way to go about it based on what other teams around the league have shown Philadelphia as well, Jack Elliott and that whole center back crew. That wasn't exactly anyone that was proven or anything before uh, Jacob Glessness, but they, those are, they took two punts, they molded them to their way and they've been excellent. Yeah. I think on the center back discussion, you kind of, whether he's still here or not, you take the Ranko model, right. And you kind of go find another one of those guys, but maybe, Maybe it's a little more experience. It's a 23, 24-year-old that you're just heading right into the prime of his career, right? Like, I think that would be an ideal sort of model to target. Someone who's been, you know, in Europe a little bit longer, but maybe at a lower level, underrated. Uh, see what you can get there. I like the way you explain that. And yeah, at Keeper, I think it's either Thomas Assault or you bring in a legit bonafide number one who's going to come in, take over the reins, and... Um, We've seen some keepers come into to MLS this season and, and have a big impact in that way. So I think you either go with the young guy or you, you bring in, I mean, not that there's a ton of big names at the, at the goalkeeping position in MLS, but uh, just guys that can come in and have that kind of impact. And then, I mean, speedy strikers, there's, there's lots of them out there. It's just a question of age, price, league, all that fit, uh, putting all those pieces together. But that's why they have the recruitment staff now to do it. Uh, you don't have to send Mark DeSantos overseas to to do his own scouting anymore. Well, this is what I'm going to say. I think for me, if I'm looking at signings, I think it's much profile. Literally, 
Because I think before, when you're the Whitecaps two years ago, they needed that. They didn't have a gold. They didn't have a Kubas. They didn't have a spine. Now they do have a spine. And what's nice is having a spine allows you, again, to make a little more gambles. Because when you have a spine, you're starting to build up a, a regularity. It's just about putting the pieces around that spine. And again, with center back, I don't argue it's more profiles than it is level of player. Just find the right profile. And again, if it's if that profile is playing USL League One, but you you believe that profile fits your system, you're almost better off molding that and, and, and going from there. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Again, it'll be interesting. I think they, yeah, they need left foot, for example, a left-footed mobile center back who can kind of cover for that left side if they're going to play that three and a half at the back. And then maybe a strong central center back based on what happens with Ranko, a guy who's a little more physical. Uh, I think they should just look for profiles. I think uh, so it'll be interesting to see. And ditto with striker. Like if it's a DP striker or if it's a TAM striker, they just need the right profile at number nine. You look at the other positions, goalkeepers as well. So this is really an offseason where I think where Nikos Overpool and his crew are going to have a lot of fun because it's less about, okay, we just need players to build a system, to build a core. There's enough of that spine there now where it's, okay, less of, oh, you just need this and then build around them. Those guys are there. You know how they play. It's about complementing them and, and really putting in these final pieces. And that's fascinating because, again, yeah, last year it was just like, sign a midfielder at number six who can you know and now they okay they have one okay that's what he's like you can build around that and it's more okay you need the right profiles you need the right guys and again that's why something i'll warn like in terms of again if the center back signing doesn't blow you off the table don't be worried i think it if, as long as it's the right profile that's what uh we should be that would be what makes a difference I think going into 2023, it's less foundational and more about optimization. I think that's that's got to be the key, and I, I do feel like that's the way the club is treating it. So the question now is down to execution. I think they, they understand the mission. They understand what they need to do. The question is, can they make it happen this offseason? So something we're going to continue to track, something we're going to continue to talk about. Um, Alex, any any final thoughts here? I think that was pretty thorough in terms of you know early white caps offseason storylines yeah well uh that's pretty much it i think for this episode i think we covered a lot we got a lot to save um i think yeah ne- next time we'll be back with some fun stuff lots coming on the corner november so all the good old stuff comes the re-entry drafts the waiver drafts uh the expansion draft so we'll keep an eye on that free agency as well coming up lots of intriguing players as always could hit free agency if they are not resigned with their clubs. And then of course we'll, we'll, we'll do some fun stuff. Like I, I think we'll genuinely come up with a list of like 10 CPL targets. We feel uh, could be attainable, you know, and make sense for the white caps. Maybe we'll look at some guys in MLS too. Uh, who are looking. So yeah, it's going to be a fun off season. We'll do our best to both follow along and talk about what's happening, but also have play around, have some hypotheticals. That's also always fun. So I think pretty much on that note, can save uh, some of that stuff for uh, shows to come, such as episode 150. Exactly. Looking forward to the big 150. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And, uh, yeah, very much looking forward to this offseason. Enjoy the rest of the MLS Cup playoffs as well. It's been entertaining so far. And, uh, yeah, hopefully the Whitecaps are there in 2023 with some of these changes. For sure. So, yeah, shout out to everyone listening to the show. The third sub podcast presented by Macy's Sports. Shout out to all of those uh, who listen. If you uh, if you enjoy the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Always much appreciated. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Gungaruzic at BTS Fan City. 
wtsfancity.com. Um, we'll be back soon enough. Um, and then I'll throw it over to Sam for the essentials, uh, as usual, to close off the show. Yeah, you can find me at Samuel underscore Robert on Twitter at 86forever.com. You can find this show at Third Sub Pod on Twitter, The Third Sub on Instagram. As Alex mentioned, you know, leave a comment, leave a review, subscribe to the pod, all that good stuff. We don't say it that often, but uh, we appreciate the support, especially if you're thirsting for some off-season content. We'll definitely have that for you, so uh, stay tuned. Thanks, everyone, and we'll chat again soon.